Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing, the podcast that continues to set records around the world. And then, as we often do, we break those records. My name is Jody Jenkins. And my name is Tony Clement. And Tony, before we get to thanking our sponsors and getting that out of the way, I do want to mention, I, I did a little bit of a tease on Twitter about this, but we have a major announcement coming up. We in, do. I guess about a week. About a week. We have a new, well, I don't even want to give too much away. We have a exciting thing. <laughs> that's the yes. way to put it. An exciting thing that's happening to the program. So we are... Uh, we're looking forward to that, and I will leave it at that. So that's coming in about a week. We want to thank John Mutton and the team at Municipal Solutions for all their support. They are our presenting sponsor. So this show doesn't even get on air without the support of John and his team at Municipal Solutions. You can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. And, Tony, I know you have a little bit more on John and his crew, and then we'll thank some of our other sponsors as well. Sure. Well, of course, uh, John and the gang at Municipal Solutions are excellent for development services and project management, development approvals, permit expediting, planning services with municipalities, engineering services, architectural services. If you've got a minor variance or a land severance issue, or if you need a building permit, Go to municipalsolutions.ca and John and the gang will help you out. And then we also want to thank Chris Moffat Arms at Polytrack. Polytrack offers government relations pros a secure hub to store their advocacy data. This includes stakeholder contact de details, engagement reports, and key messages because it means you have advocacy data at your fingertips, which means you spend less time on compliance and less time on reporting, and it means you can grow your business. Visit polytrackwithaq.com, mention, and another thing, podcast. When you sign up, you receive their white glove onboarding service free, 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 including tutorial and Q&A for your team. For so for all you GR pros out there, check out polytrack.com. And I will give a quick plug for Lord and Lady Coffee, some mm. of the best fresh roast made here in eastern Ontario. And, of course, we deliver right across the country. You can find out more by going to lordandlady.ca. Two wonderful blends. We have a medium blend called The One. And then there is The Midnight Voyage, a wonderful dark roast, Colombian fair trade organic uh, you, if you're a coffee connoisseur, wow. uh, I guarantee you're going to keep on buying these bags. The great thing, Tony, when you go to lordandlady.ca, we ship anywhere in Canada, spend over 40 bucks and shipping is completely free. So make sure you check it out. Lordandlady.ca. All right. We, we're going to get right into our guest and I know probably after, uh, he leaves cause his time is valuable. We don't want to keep him too long, but I know that Tony, you and I will also have some banter about golf and who knows, mm -hmm. maybe we'll throw some COVID talk in there as well. Uh, it seems, to be, you know. seems to be timely, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all we're all talking about it still. It's a 15 months and we're still talking about it. So absolutely. But before we get to that, there are other issues uh, in Canada. I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. And we are very pleased uh, at And Another Thing podcast to welcome to our program, uh, Professor Michael Geist. He is the Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law at the University of Ottawa. He's written books, including Law, Privacy, and Surveillance in Canada and in the post-Snowden era. And he's also written a book called Interle Internet Law in Canada. So let's welcome to the program Michael Geist. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yes, welcome, Michael. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's great to have you on board. Uh, and uh, I, I reached out to you, uh, first of all, uh, Jody, Michael and I go way back when I was Minister of Industry and overhauling our copyright legislation. Michael was very helpful, uh, and uh, he had some very pronounced views, uh, much of which I shared. Uh, and uh, so uh, it was great to work with him on that, as well as other Internet issues when I was industry minister and when I was uh, president of the Treasury Board as well, because I had responsibility for, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, making sure that uh, things that government did were actually posted online. And uh, we wanted to make sure that uh, all this data that uh, government was collecting was available as well. So I just wanted to put in a plug for Michael's uh, continued advocacy and commentary on Canadian public policy, which brings us, Michael, to my first question, which is, of course, what what brought you uh, very much front of mind now was uh, all of the debate that's happening in Ottawa and really throughout the country on something called Bill C-10. So I wanted you to describe to our audience what the fuss is all about to start things off. Sure, it's a good place to start, and I have to say that blast from the past um, brings back some memories, and and uh-huh. in, in many ways, uh, you know, I feel like I, I'm reliving some of the same kinds of things that we did during the the copyright debates that took place a number of years ago, and uh, which also persist a bit. But this particular bill, Bill C-10, started life back last fall as what the government said was was an attempt to try to bring in some of the large streaming services, the Netflix, Disney, Amazons of the world, into the Canadian broadcast system, and Really, their their core goal, I think, was to ensure that those companies paid into funds to help support Canadian content. Those companies already make significant investments in Canada. Netflix is one of the biggest funders of production in Canada right now. Foreign money has been a big part of the sector for the last number of years. But this was designed to essentially regulate that aspect of it as well as address a number of other issues. Now, I'll admit that I had some concerns about this legislation, was critical of the legislation from the outset, because I I didn't think that treating some of the online services in the same way as you treat conventional broadcasters necessarily worked. That doesn't mean that there isn't a role for regulation. It means that the same regulation doesn't work effectively. But that debate has, at least in recent weeks, been surpassed by a second one coming out of the legislation. And that's that the government recognized that it's one thing to target companies like Netflix. It's quite another thing to say that they wanted to include within the scope of the legislation individuals or user-generated content that TikTok posts or things that people put up on Instagram or YouTube and treat that and them as equivalent to broadcasters or the content itself equivalent to broadcast programming. And so they actually included a couple of exceptions to try to ensure that that would not be the case. And then Mm. surprisingly, last month, the government decided to change its own bill by removing one of those safeguards, the effect of which is to ensure that all audio and video that's posted by individual users, like this podcast, are all treated as programming under the Act and potentially subject to CRTC regulation. Yeah, this is the thing, and that was the the match that lit the spark on this becoming a wider uh, discussion, obviously. But it, it I, I've tried to listen to the heritage minister. And look, I was a minister. I, I got tongue-tied at times or uh, kind of contorted myself into a pretzel trying to explain things. But this is a new level of confusion from the minister to justify why uh, he wants to do this. Is that your impression as well? 
Yeah, I think he's handled this exceptionally poorly. You know, there's been successive interviews on major networks on CBC and then on CTV that he's had to walk back or that has certainly caused, I think, a lot of concern about what he's been saying. He appeared recently in the House of Commons committee and again, I think, really struggled to directly address some of the core issues. And, you know, if this is such a defensible bill, if his position makes sense, one would have thought that it should not be challenging to explain why they've removed some of the legislation, whether or not this applies to algorithms, which I believe it quite clearly does. There's any number of, of so why is it bad if questions. It, yeah. Why is it bad if it rep- if it applies to algorithms? Explain that a little bit. Well, I mean, some of the concern, this speaks to the issue of what's known as discoverability. And so what the government has quite acknowledged, I mean, in some ways, they, they've tried to deflect the issue of whether or not uh, they're regulating users, users' content by saying, well, we're not directly regulating users. And it's true that there is an exception for that, but there is no longer an exception for their content, as we've been saying. So it applies to all of that content. They've then now essentially acknowledged that with a forthcoming amendment that says, okay, maybe we are regulating that content, but we're going to limit the kind of regulation the CRTC can engage in. One of the things, though, that they are quite clearly putting on the books that they've actually added to the law is to say that they can get into what's known as the discoverability of Canadian content so that the CRTC can order platforms effectively to prioritize or deprioritize speech. They can say there's certain kinds of content we want to ensure is made more prominent, and then by definition, there will be other content that will be made less prominent based on a CRTC edict. And while there's no doubt that the companies engage, obviously, they have their own algorithms, they are making choices there as well. We need to know more about how those choices are made. It's something known as algorithmic transparency, and it's something that the government ought to be pursuing. But that's quite different from saying that the government, through one of its agencies, will begin to make those kinds of choices with respect to what Canadians get to see in their TikTok or YouTube feeds. What uh, and I, you talked a little bit about the motives uh, at the outset here. Uh, I guess the motives generally for C10 was to encompass these large, uh, large internet companies into some sort of regulatory framework, which is basically uh, that that's something that is happening in other uh, major jurisdictions. I think of Europe, uh, the the EU, and and the UK, and so on. So I, I get that, but. This user-generated part, let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt. What would be their best argument for wanting to do this, and, and what's the counter to that argument? You know, if I'm totally honest about it, I don't think there is a good argument for okay. regulating user-generated con- reg- regulated content within the Broadcasting Act. So two points to make. First, that's not to suggest that there aren't rules that apply to user-generated content as there are rules that apply to all speech. So that's not to say that you don't need rules that uh, that address, uh, you know, clearly illegal speech, so some mm-hmm. forms of hate speech, terrorism, uh, a range of different kinds of speech that raises issues. It might, whether it's user-generated, generated or not, the law should apply. It does apply. And if it's not being applied effectively, then there is unquestionably a role for the government to make sure that it does. So this is not, as the minister and some others have tried to suggest, an attempt to say no regulation for the internet. Absolutely not. There is a clear role for regulation in this space. I actually would put privacy at the very top of that list in terms of what ought to happen. Uh, so, uh, So it's not about that. It's about whether or not we use the broadcast side. And I think people should understand that there is quite literally no country on the planet 
that thinks this is an appropriate way to regulate user-generated content. Even the Europeans, who have extensive regulation when it comes to Internet services, including Internet video services, clearly distinguish between, on the one hand, a streaming service that curates and controls its own content from a video-sharing service which does not. And, it, and for those video-sharing services, there is simply no attempt to say, we're going to get into issues of regulating that content, prioritizing some content, or or otherwise get the uh, allowing the government to intervene in these kinds of issues. Um, I'm going to broaden it out for a second, and then maybe Jody wants to jump in too. But put put C10 not just focusing it in on this particular bill, but looking at generally the last, say, 10 years, and generally looking ahead 10 years, what are the trends in Canada uh, for uh, freedom of expression? And also, and because I know you, you are concerned about this, what are the trends for what has been called the surveillance state? Yeah, no, I'm glad you raised the sort of the bigger picture on this. I did a piece in McLean's that uh, talked a bit about what is, a, I think, a pretty dramatic shift in, in the government's approach. And, and listen, as, as you'll hopefully recall, I was uh, I was critical of the Harper government on any number of different I issues. Remember. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So I so this is this is has nothing to do with partisanship. There were no shortage of issues that uh, that I and I thought many other people C fifty one comes to mind around some of the surveillance issues that right. that that where there were deep concerns. And you know, in some ways, I see some parallels between that and what we see taking place now. Where <clears throat> excuse me, where What's taking place then and was that, you know, Canadians were certainly supportive of better security and, you know, the government at the, of the day really jumped on that. But I think the reaction that you got from the public was that there were still limits, that our, their, their fundamental privacies or privacy or charter rights, those kinds of freedoms were important too, and you had to factor that in. And I think we're getting the same kind of thing play out right now with respect to the government. And what started as the view that you could do no wrong if you challenged or took on big tech companies, and suddenly now they're seeing that, well, you know what, Canadians are saying, yeah, we'd like you to, to harness them to a certain extent. We want to ensure our data is protected. We want to ensure that, that you find ways to address some of the online harms, but we don't want to be surrendering our fundamental freedoms at the same time. And and I do think as we look ahead, there are real risks as as we proceed. It's a government that, uh, through this minister actually, has been really handed the digital policy keys, and the kind of things that he envisions goes far beyond C-10. In some ways, this bill was the easy part the, the, the forthcoming legislation that he said he's going to bring in includes things like website blocking, includes like mandated takedowns, a new social media regulator. And for some of those kinds of issues, once you implement the technology, let's say for website blocking, once you require Internet providers to have capabilities to block, it starts with saying, well, we just want to ensure that they're blocking uh, illegal content, certain kinds of illegal content. But it's quite clear there's a slippery slope. I mean, the mm-hmm. same minister is also consulting on blocking copyright-related content. And how long before we start seeing people say, well, we want you to engage in some kind of blocking as part of a prioritization to ensure that Canadians prioritize or have an easier time accessing Canadian content over other content. Jody, do you want to jump in here? <clears throat> I was just going to throw in that we know where this bill 
um, was we know what it was born out of, and that I mean, the Trudeau government is afraid of our program. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's that's basically it. We know MP Mark Garrettson won't even come on the show, and because we speak the truth, that's what it is. It's but, all uh, about and another thing podcast. That's right, um, Michael. I did want to ask you actually about a on just on the political angle a little bit more. Um, maybe a little bit of fun with this, but I know I was listening to you, your podcast law bites, a free plug for that. Um, and you were having, you played a clip of, it sounded like MP Michael Barrett. I'm not sure who was speaking to bill C 10, but he, he quoted you. And it just made me think about even when you were talking with Tony about the Harper days, and I'm sure you were quoted by some of the opposition parties back then too. Um, have, have all the mainstream parties adopted you at one time or another as, as one of their own when it, when it fits what they're trying to push across. Yeah. time. There's an element of truth to that for sure. That, uh, you know, when it's, when it's, when I'm saying things, and this is, I think true for lots of people, of course, when you're saying things that uh, are supportive of, of the point you're trying to make, you quote, uh, I will say that uh, no one, has, and I never envisioned the, the possibility of literally watching uh, the house of commons question period, tweeting out uh, concern about one of the things that had been said at that stage by the prime minister and having it read back, in the house within about 10 minutes with the question posed to the prime minister, whether or not Canadians should believe him or me. Um, <laughs> I don't think Harper was ever asked that, that question, I have to say, but um, it, it does, you know, in some ways, and I've been glad that, that even some of the conservative MPs have referenced this, that uh, I, I don't believe that these digital policy issues are partisan or that they ought to be partisan. Um, what becomes partisan, of course, is that, you know, political parties of all stripes become wedded to their their legislation and for whatever reason, uh, unwilling to acknowledge what I think has become increasingly obvious. And that is that in this case, in this bill, and it's been true for other bills in the past by other governments, that there were significant problems that ought to be addressed. And it's OK to acknowledge that, you know what? This was a mistake and we ought to fix it. And what's been surprising is that the minister has been asked directly multiple times, you know, one of the easy fixes is just to put this back in. Uh, this exception so that you have that safeguard in place. And he either won't answer the question or quite clearly is unwilling to do so. And that, I think, is a surprise given what we now know, I think, about the implications of that choice and the public reaction to it. I was just going to say ministers get dug in and then they uh, they don't see the forest for the trees. I uh, I, I know certain people, uh, including those on this call who are ministers who might have might have been in that situation. But uh, that's why that's why there's got to be the oversight. And, uh, you know, he can't get away with that unless the prime minister's office is backing him up. Uh, otherwise, he'd be dangling. Uh, at the end of a limb. So uh, at some point, either the PMO uh, sort of saws off the limb or they, they keep hunk hunkering down on it. That's my prediction. Sorry, Jody. No, I was just going to say, you know what I see as a significant problem with this bill is that there's nowhere, unless I'm wrong, nowhere does it talk about a streaming service that shows the littlest hobo. And I think that should be corrected immediately. There you go. You see, there, there's some more input for you, Michael. You can yeah, add well, that to the, list. the I, I've been saying I didn't think the government consulted <laughs> widely enough. And so uh, <laughs> here's the evidence. Jody's trying to get into Hansard as well. He wants you to say, tweet that out and then uh, Mike Barrett to uh, include it. In his was I right, though? Was that Michael Barrett in, in that clip? Yes, or it no? was. I believe, oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah he's, he's doing his sad. job. I don't know if it's good or sad that I know people's voices like that in the <laughs> But it's, it's interesting. I mean, really, the concern has been, look, we have obviously different kinds of, of 
societies. So uh, when when you're talking about the People's Republic of China, it's definitely the authoritarian state that is doing the surveillance. Uh, if we were in the European Union, uh, I think most people would say that there are bureaucratic rules in place that provide oversight. In North America, typically, it's been uh, mostly concern about uh, corporate surveillance, uh, and and you you referenced this the power of Amazon or Google or Facebook or Twitter, and the corporate surveillance model that is pre- preeminent here. Now we've seemed to cross a line into into concerns about government surveillance. Uh, am I am I mixing metaphors, or does that make sense, Michael? From your no, I think there is a stream that that kind of brings some of those issues together. You know, in particular, I would note that one of the the concerns or frustrations, I guess, more accurately that I've had around this issue is that for whatever reason, the government hasn't taken on the issues around corporate surveillance or at least corporate data capture and use and potential misuse of, of that information. And it's it's frankly hard to understand why. In fact, there is a bill, Bill C-11, so a bill that was introduced within a couple of weeks of Bill C-10, which sought to modernize and update Canada's privacy laws. And to me, that's really the the first stop in trying to counter some of the concerns around the tech companies. I mean, their advantage is based not just on size, but on the sheer amount of data that they collect and how they're able to use that data. And we have seen enough examples of potential misuses of that data to know that we need better laws to deal with that. And yet the government has allowed that particular piece of legislation to completely languish. It's been raised, I believe, now three times in the House total since Mm. it's been introduced, hasn't gone to committee. And so it feels like sort of the the priorities are askew here, so to speak. I mean, there if we there's it's not about not taking on big tech. There are things they really need to be doing to take on big tech. They're just not doing it. Is this one of the things? I'm sure you've written about this as well. That uh, one of the consequences of COVID and the lockdowns and uh, basically uh, how we've worked, uh, if we are able to, uh, we have worked from home. Uh, that's actually increased the market power of big tech, hasn't it? Is, is this something you're concerned about? Well, I think we've become, I think, it, sir, obviously the pandemic has highlighted how reliant we are on these technology companies. And, and I think it would be, a, you know, it, I think it is too simplistic and I think a bit unfair to cast all of this with a negative brush as the minister has done. I mean, he's he sought, sought to sort of basically say, you know, big tech is evil and I can do no wrong as if what I'm trying to do is harness them. And I think, you know, I think we take away at least a couple of lessons from the pandemic with respect to tech. One is tech has changed our lives incredibly for the better. I mean, the ability for us to continue with our lives, uh, whether it's for education or for business or for culture, uh, owes in large measure to the connectivity that we have and to these various services. I I just came off teaching a a course that had students from Canada, Israel, and Italy in the same uh, Zoom classroom with speakers from around the world as part of it, looking at tech issues and COVID. And, you know, we were reflecting that that even just a couple of years ago, we tried to do some of that and just the technology was not there. And the seamlessness by which we can bring people and learn from each other and this technology just works so well is incredible. But at the same time, of course, there are risks associated with that because as we become more reliant on these technologies, uh, these companies become ever more powerful. And so no question, there is a need to ensure they don't abuse that power. There's a need to ensure 
sure that they don't use the kind of privileged position and power that they have to uh, either manipulate the market or to you know, behave in ways that we would believe uh, are counter to the broader society goals or sometimes in some cases simply violate different rules. So no doubt we have to ensure that our laws keep pace. Part of the problem, and you asked the question earlier about looking ahead, part of the problem is that I feel like governments, and it's not just the Canadian government, but it's certainly this, the Canadian government right now, is doing too much of looking in the rearview mirror and not enough looking ahead. So not enough trying to craft rules that look at where we are and anticipate where we are headed, but rather rules that basically say, this is what it looked like for the last number of decades. Let me just try to squeeze in this new environment into those that same kind of rule set. And it, mm. it just doesn't work. Well, Jody... There you have it. <laughs> I was sorry. I'm I'm actually just uh, I was trying to figure out. I know that uh, Jugmeet Singh has his own TikTok account. Yes. Right. And uh, does Trudeau have one? I don't, I think he does. Anyway, I, I was just does. trying to see if Aaron O'Toole does. I don't think he does. Either. I don't think he does. No. But I was just uh, maybe this is a big play to just stop Jugmeet and his TikToks. It was funny you should mention that because uh, I guess at the time he was running for the leadership. Um, it was, it was, it wasn't TikTok. It was Snapchat. That was all the rage. Yeah. And, and I remember going up to Tom Mulcair, who was a uh, kind of, I was two seats away from him in the house of commons at one point. And I said, Hey Tom, your, uh, your likely successor. Cause the leadership race was still on. I said, your likely successor has just posted on Snapchat and literally Jagmeet Singh was in a pear tree. <laughs> in some orchard somewhere in, in Niagara, I think. Oh, and he Lordy. actually picked off a pear whilst being in the pear tree and started eating the pear. That was his Snapchat. And Tom Mulcair's eyes became more bug-like than usual. As I said, this is your next leader, buddy. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, should I have done more of that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that, that's that's the power of social media, Michael Guys. Oh, it is. You know what? It is It is obviously exceptionally powerful. The, you know, I also don't know whether or not those other leaders have TikTok accounts, but it, it does highlight why... There are risks when you get leaders that are not necessarily attuned to the technology, don't really understand the culture, don't understand its impact coming in and saying, we're here to regulate and save the day. I mean, you just, if you don't understand what it is that you're regulating and you kind of get that from some of the discussions, I think that the heritage minister has been uh, involved with, he's talked about net neutrality in ways that are a bit incomprehensible as well. Uh, Then you run the risk of really getting some of these issues wrong. Yeah, Michael, um, one last question from me, and then I'll let Tony wrap it up. But do you own any Dogecoin? I do. You do? Uh, I do have some Dogecoin. Beauty. Beauty. I've been, I've been, I must have been, I've been in and out of Doge, although actually I was talking about this with uh, one of my kids recently. I bought it, I bought a little bit during the run up back in January. It's, uh, what am I doing? And I sold it, and that uh, turns out was a mistake. Yeah, you should have kept it. Should have kept it. Should have kept it. I'm 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 uh, I'm waiting for Ethereum to go back up. That's my big play now. So yeah, there you I, go. I think I think that's I think that's a good bet at this point. <laughs> there we go. This is not market advice to our listeners. I want to make that absolutely <laughs> clear. <laughs> uh, I'm Michael Geist, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for uh, lending some of your expertise and uh, analysis on a very important situation. It's great having you on and another thing podcast. Ah, that was fun. Thanks so much for having me. Very interesting discussion on Bill C-10 and then, of course, some uh, other great points that were raised by Michael. When when did you first meet Michael? 
I was Minister of Industry, so that must have been 2008, and oh, okay. uh, I carried out copyright reforms in about 2010, so 11 okay. years ago. And okay, uh, so I was yeah. in grade 12. Ah. No, no, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like throwing in stuff like that. So I was just going into high school. Okay. Yeah. He sounds like a good guy. He's won lots of awards. Yeah. You know, one time he was recognized as one of Canada's top 40 under 40. So, oh, no, he's a brilliant guy. And uh, look, I'm a. Uh... I'm a more I'm an internet freedom kind of guy. I, I err on the side of internet freedom, and so's he. So we got along, and uh, it sometimes caused some problems because I was more on his side than on Stephen Harper's side on some issues. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, I managed to get some very important reforms done on copyright law that I'm quite proud of. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, it reminded. Actually, I had a flashback when you guys were bantering back and forth about Bill C fifty one, and and it just reminded me of some of the stuff that. Um, the election in 2015 kind mm -hmm. of made happen. I, I can remember canvassing, and I'm sure you do as well, and encountering people on their driveways, and they'd be talking about C-51. Or the other classic line was, why Why are you muzzling scientists? Yeah, why don't well, you just you know, leave the scientists alone? Stephen Harper was a dictator, and now we've got Justin Trudeau doing far oh worse than gosh. Stephen Harper ever yeah. even, even I just, I, As soon as I, that came out of people's mouths uh, when I was door knocking, I was like, oh, no, I'm screwed here. Yeah, no, <laughs> I know. I just move on to the next door. It, it ain't happening. Yeah, you're not <laughs> switching them. But um, speaking of screwed, we can put all Ontario golfers into that category. Yes, over a million. Because we still can't freaking golf. It's very bizarre and uh, upsetting that we are the only jurisdiction in the known universe that uh, does not have the golf courses open. Uh, we've said it before, 26 million rounds of golf were played in Ontario last year in 2020. Zero cases of COVID. Yeah. Uh, Premier Ford has said, well, the golf's not the problem. I'm not anti-golf, but it's when, you know, my buddies, they get together, they have a few pops. Well, you know. I, I remember, I don't know, Jody, you may remember too, you go onto the golf course, uh, you're, you're socially distant. They would have outdoor patios where you yeah. remain socially distant and have a few pops in the outdoor patios, but no rules were broken. So I don't know who his buddies are, but they're, they're not my buddies. And uh, we're certainly uh, paying the price for some bad public policy. <laughs> we're paying the price for Doug Ford's buddies. I'm surprised someone didn't say something like, uh, well, can podcasts be con uh, continued? Continue to be recorded premiere. I look, I talk to my buddies. I, I look, I know it. You carpool, you go record a podcast, and you have some pops after. We just can't do it. We just got to be limiting the mobility. Yeah. But here's the funniest thing. Of course, I'm joking, but here's the funniest thing. I was down by the water last night at the trail with my wife. And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure boating isn't uh, illegal, or I mean, I'm sure boating in some capacity is allowed, or maybe it's not. But here's the thing. I saw about 12 boats, uh, sorry, trailers from like big fishing boats all out in the water. So they're oh, obviously yeah. a boating. And I had no issues with that. But here's my point. Do you really think that everybody on those boats is from the same household or they're not, you know, like buddies out fishing together? Like what? Yeah. what's the difference I, I, between that and golf? Yeah, and that's the problem, of course. And uh, look, uh, I know the, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to restrict mobility. Yeah, I, I, I get but that. But this isn't this the right is way. Not, this it's is not nonsense. the right way. Yeah. yeah, it's not the right way. So anyway, you know what? It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> June 2nd will be the earliest we get to do anything. And as the Premier often says for the 15th month in a row, look, folks, I just need you to hold on for a couple more weeks. 
I know it's yeah. hard, but just a couple more weeks. So <laughs> at this point, what do you do, right? Well, we just better pray that the Indian variant, uh, whatever, no, triple, Lordy. double or triple mutation doesn't uh, rear its head. Well, speaking of variants, I know you mentioned that John Mutton and Municipal Solutions, they can help you with a minor variance. Can, yeah. can they help with variants of concern or no? Well, I'll have to check in with the Muttonator on that. If he could, uh, he'd be a very busy man. He, I want to go and record at his new palatial estate. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, can, it's we he should, can he build a studio for us in there? I think we should try to do it, uh, record okay. live at, at, at the Muttonators at some it's point. A beautiful That's a great house. idea. It's a beautiful yeah. house. Absolutely. A lot of stone anyway. work there. So, uh... <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much to <laughs> Michael Geis. Thanks so much to John Mutton and the team at Municipal Solutions. You can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. We are so appreciative of their support as our presenting sponsor. And Tony, I'll let you thank Polytrack. Yeah, Chris Moffat Arms and the gang at polytrack.com. Thank you for your continued sponsorship. We love having you. As a very, He's a very enthusiastic sponsor. We should say that. Uh, and we appreciate uh, the love and attention that he gives to And Another Thing Podcast as well. And you can find all our sponsors at andanotherthingpodcast.ca. And we have an exciting announcement coming up in a week that's mm-hmm. really going to change the... Uh, the way we do this program in a great, in a good way. It's fun. It's going to expose our brand to even more people. So I'll just leave it at that. And I, I will say this as well, that Tony, that our show continues to grow. I don't say that to brag. I just simply let people know that we appreciate their support. And, you know, we've been doing this. Well, this is, this is episode 81, I believe. Yeah, that is um, correct. And uh, yeah, we keep growing and growing, don't we, in terms of our listenership? Yeah. So, I mean, we started what, October 2019 or late 2019? Yeah, something the first like that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're coming up. We'll be two years this October and year over year. I, I think it's safe to say like we've literally doubled our listenership, which is a good thing. So we really appreciate it. Yeah. So the, to the moon, like Dogecoin. That's right. <laughs> to the if moon, Alice. Here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We will do this again in seven days. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon, Tony. Take care.